Oh, hello, ladies and gentlemen of Orleans. Thank you so much for coming out to the 44th Annual Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival. Uh, we're going to be doing a panel here discussing peeling back the cover, uh, talking about diversity in sci-fi and uh, other things. We have a lovely expertise of panelists here who will be discussing all that. I feel like Vanna White right now. Like I feel like I am displaying everything in a uh, showcase showdown format. Uh, starting here on uh, my right, your left, we'll start with this panelist here, is uh, Izzy Lee, she's a short filmmaker. Uh, you can see her short film, My Monster, tonight, 8 p.m. at the Somerville Theater down the street as part of the Sci-Fi Film Festival. Uh, next to her, of course, is my good friend, Paul Solomoff, who made the movie Encounter, which you can see this Saturday, February 16th, also part of the Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival. And to his left, your right, is Megan Ackerman, who is a pop culturist, who uh, is a pop culturist, that's it. You know what that means? <laughs> and the former radio host. <laughs> former radio host, pop culturist, and expertise in sci-fi. Uh, and then next to her, we have Andre Green, who is a uh, former arts lobbyist here in Boston. And then finally, our radio host uh, for Disrupt Boston and uh, I think voiceover actor, correct? Uh, Pat Borden-Nave. So give our panelists a big round of applause. All right, we will be asking them, I will be asking them a uh, slew of uh, questions uh, to prove their expertise in the field of sci-fi and diversity. Uh, then afterwards, if anybody has a question, feel free to step up, we'll queue up, and then we can, uh, you can ask our panelists any question you want, whether it's for the entire panel or anyone in particular or specifically. Okay. The first question that we want to talk to our panelists about is, uh, over the f past few years, we've seen uh, a lot of film and television reflect the conversations and moments we've seen in our everyday lives. Sapphire has acted as an al allegory for varying social issues throughout history. So what we want to know is, uh, panelists, and we'll start here with Izzy, is in what ways do you feel sci-fi has helped tell the story of prejudice and bring groups together? In what way? I mean, every single way possible, um, horror and sci-fi. Okay, you have to get a little bit closer on that mic. Is this on? Okay. Uh, can you hear me now? Maybe. Let me just turn that up a little bit. There we go. That's all. Try to make the mic uncomfortable. Right. That's the end. There you go. All right. It sounds like this is on now. Yeah. Um, science fiction and horror are both genres that throughout their, I don't know, I want to say the entire history of, of them each have, have afforded stories that explore different cultures and upset the status quo. And I think that's why we're all here and that's why we're all so attracted to science fiction. I mean, you can, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking, you know, Kirk and O'Hara and Star Trek and, you know, sort of opening people's eyes way back then. And I'm thinking, like, back in horror, um, we, and I mostly make horror films, which is why I'm referencing the genre as well. Um, if you go back to the original Night of the Living Dead, you know, it's just, it was so revolutionary for its time. And uh, I'm just going to let you go on now. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, you reference Night of the Living Dead, but the interesting thing about that film is that George Romero will always say that the reason why he hired. Dwayne, Dwayne Jones, right? That's yeah. yeah it is because he was the best actor, and it wasn't really. It, it it sort of took the mantle of that social commentary and just worked beautifully for the film. But you know, even recently he keeps on saying that. He says, no, he was the best actor for the job, and that's you know that was the, the thing for it, which is really interesting. But yeah, exactly what Izzy said in regards to that science fiction, uh, specific like science fiction has 
been great for allegory for it. I mean, especially what uh, Rod Serling was doing with the Twilight Zone and exploring a lot of uh, racial issues. Yeah, you mentioned Star Trek, of course. You know, the, the famous episode, the uh, the black and white guys. Why can't I remember? Somebody here, tell me the name of those characters in Star Trek. Um, but that's the wonderful thing about that genre is it allows you to explore, you know, the ideas of, you know, racial relationships, of, like, religious relationships, um, and sexuality, and uh, that's what it's always been wonderful at doing. Uh, thank you, Paul. And Megan? Uh, so I think one of the, the cool things about sci-fi is when you're dealing with, uh, you know, aliens and robots and basically not necessarily all of your uh, characters are human, it also kind of lets you sneak some of that in and hopefully get it in front of an audience that um, maybe wouldn't go see a very serious movie about misogyny or racism or sexuality. Um, so hopefully, um, somehow that lodges in, in their brains as well and at least sparks the idea that maybe there's, uh, there's more to this and, and more to consider. Andre? So um, I think when you think about science fiction, you've got to remember that telling stories about other cultures, it's in its DNA, and therefore issues of prejudice, of the tension of cultures have been there from the beginning, right? Like, I'm talking like H.G. Wells, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is, anti, is anti-imperialist cross-cultural metaphor. And then, you know, my colleagues mentioned Star Trek, and yes, that, that episode is the classic, but it's, it's deeper than that, right? Like, there's a reason Martin Luther King told Michelle Nichols she couldn't leave Star Trek, because it was important to have, as Whoopi Goldberg famous put it, mama, mama, there's a black woman on stage and she ain't no maid. <laughs> like, science fiction was showing us a future that transcended, you know, all of our petty human divides from its inception. Uh, and Bat, finally with you. Oh, yeah, sure, thank you. Um, actually, I'm glad you brought up H.G. Wells there. If uh, we look back historically to the... You're going to have to get closer on that. If we look back historically, see it. <laughs> uh, but on the evolution of science fiction, dating all the way back to like, the 1800s and before like stories we could understand, I'm sure Shakespeare had a scientific, science fiction story in there somewhere, you know, towards the back of his works. Um, we can actually see the progression of uh, how science fiction affects the new generations that wrote after uh, the more well-knowns, and then their influence carried on. And then, also throughout history, um, writers uh, that had uh, more of a, um, I guess, more of a, a enlightened progressive vision uh, used science fiction as their um, as their uh, method of transference of those ideas to future generations. So every generation, you will see some will have the same uh, negative attributes of society at that point, but also you'll see the progression. And then the next generation will carry on. Whether or, whether or not they know it and realize it, it becomes a thing. You know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, say I'm Caucasian. Hey, <laughs> you're black, but it doesn't suck as much being next to you in 1970 as it did in 1960 or 1950 because I'm also a fan of like Star Trek, and I see, oh, you know, Kirk got down with uh, Uhura. I guess that's not such an ill taboo, and it becomes more of a uh, cultural um, uh, 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 progression 
you know, and science fiction is, I think, largely, uh, I'm going to say to blame, but that sounds negative, uh, we can attribute that. And that's one thing that can't really be overshadowed. It's just like it carries that over time and affects generations. That's one of the most positive things that it's brought to the table over the years, and it continues to. So that's also my argument for why some of it isn't perfect as we go farther back, but you can see that some of it's trying. Not all of it is positive, though. There are those examples of the negative. We'll touch on those later. But like that's what science fiction brings. Science fiction brings that awareness and that casualty of acceptance, you know? Uh, and that's a good point there, which, by the way, it's, uh, not only was Shatner getting down with O'Horror, but he also got down with that green alien, which means he is... Like the non-racist person in space. So yes, the Orions. If you want to tweet anything tonight, just do uh, include the hashtag Shatner not racist. Okay. Uh, Which unfortunately <laughs> might not actually be true, but uh, but uh, on that note, on a, and we'll start this time with you, uh, Pat. Um, is there any instance that you can think of where science fiction may have widened the diversity gap or uh, done things where it's uh, further? Uh, created a further d divide between people. Are there any instances you can think of off the top of your head that oh. science fiction has dropped the pooch or screwed the pooch or dropped the ball on, uh, you know, including diversity yeah, that you can I'm, think of? I'm going to ask you to go ahead and think of a more loaded question. I don't think we've covered all <laughs> points. Um, no, I'll try to keep it as simple as possible because we have a whole panel of, uh, of, of, of ideas here. I would say that, okay, taking it to Star Trek and keeping it in that compartmentalized um, uh, uh, universe there. Yes, a lot of advancements were attempted to show, hey, we have an Asian, um, an Asian, uh, 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 dang, what's the word? Not, uh, not another Pilot. man. Um, well, I'm trying to think of an uh, officer. Why the hell? Anyways, um, we have him right up front. You know, we're not like hiding, okay, we've fulfilled our diversity quota. You know, he's right up front. We have a Russian who we also societally have beef with, but he's right there on the, you know, uh, uh, at, the, uh, at the con, you know, in season two on. But still, you know, he's, he's right there in present. It's, it's, it's showing these are valued members of our crew. But at the same time, we have women getting slapped left and right. I and mean, we go down to a planet and suddenly the femme fatale is the one. You mentioned the green women. Yes, we all love them. We can't forget that those were the Orion slave girls that were there against their will. You know, um, hey, even the pilot, which is, which is uh, helmed as one of the most progressive um, uh, efforts of Star Trek. Because right in episode one, to sell the show, Roddenberry had for, uh, right up front you know, a female leading the away party. Uh, uh, the original captain before uh, Kirk took over, um, Jeffrey Pike. Owens. Yes. Pike. Uh, uh, Pike, played by Jeffrey Owens. His, uh, his, uh, his number one, his first officer, was female, and that was like big back then. And great step forward in that same episode. Well, you know, the female that lured Pike to his demise was just a woman who was using her wiles to keep him in, in, in slave there. So, and huge step forward, huge step back. You know, so it's like, You'll find both. If you want to talk ones that, that uh, explore the purely negative aspects of it, mm, no, there's many. Gulliver's Travels, I'll say, is one where it's like every place this man goes, he's the guy observing all these weirdo foreign cultures and things. They, oh, they, they, they're different than I am, hence they're automatically evil, they're wrong, they're backwards, and maybe I have an advantage over them, or maybe their inherent native abilities give them an advantage over me. You know, it's, 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 it's all over the place. And sometimes it was just so commonplace that it never seemed like anything was wrong. It's just what we came to accept because that's just how things are. 
You know, in the 60s, yeah, of course people sit in the back of the bus because they're darker than I am, you know? Again, I'm speaking from the Caucasian point of view. But uh, those would be the examples I'd throw up just to keep it in perspective. Andre? Um, so I always think back to the silver, the silver and golden age science fiction like periodicals where the hero, in order to get published, had to be a Caucasian male. Like, if you had, if you had a non-Caucasian or a non-male lead, they had to fail. Because obviously, it was Caucasian males who were going to lead us into, into the future. Um, and You're right. White. It ain't right. Right. And, and this still is the case. Like, one of the things that, that I learned recently is that you know, your real unrepentant white supremacist groups have a long, proud tradition of writing speculative fiction. Neo-Nazis love sci-fi. Um, and I think it's because, it is, I think honestly it's the same reason I love sci-fi, because it's a palette where we can draw our vision of what the world should be like. It's just that their vision of what the world should be like is this topic hell space. Um, and shortly, I think, you know, when you talk about places where mainstream science fiction has missed the boat, I'm, I'm, I'm with Pat here. I think about the treatment of women. I think about the fact that even in 2019, if you have a woman in sci-fi sci work, she's usually a prize to be won. And in fact, you know, I, I play a lot of video games, there's usually like a code, basically put in right inputs, win, win woman as prize. <laughs> wow. When you think about games like, like, like you know, Mass Effect, those games, this is what you're doing is you're putting in the right code. And if you do it right, you win a, you win a woman. Megan, do you have a response? Um, so I'm not going to shame anyone for being a sexy alien babe if that's what they want to be. You do you. Um, but it's also not the only choice. Um, so as Andre and, and Pat said, definitely uh, the representation of women, especially in, in early sci-fi, was not great. Uh, it would be great to see women have a few more choices. Um, and I, I think, too, building off something Andre said about you know white supremacists and the speculative fiction, um, you can definitely kind of go down this road where you start talking about you know these these technological and scientific advances, and um, you can kind of walk this fine line where uh, maybe a movie or a story is really praising, like oh, we could you know get rid of diseases or make people stronger or make them whiter or. It, you know, uh, get rid of all disabilities and, you know, change their sexuality. So, I can definitely... I think you turned it off. Oh. There's a button to push it up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you can't let a woman see it. No, yeah, that was... That was uh, that's, all right, that's enough from you. The kitchen's over there. Let's now. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, there was something else that I, I was going to say. But you were saying about how uh, science fiction can uh, get rid of things like uh, disabilities or uh, sure. make whitewash everything, I think, is the... the yeah, um, and that that's only... Uh, you know, a danger there. And then something that I, I think we're going to get into in some of the other questions, because I, I peeked on the back of the page, um, is also the fandoms. Um, it's not necessarily always the content, um, especially as we've seen in, in some of the recent Star Wars movies, um, even some of the Star Trek movies, um, where there is a big pushback against trying to add uh, any diversity. 
So Paul, as the white man on the panel, do you want to apologize on behalf of all? No, I'm kidding. How would uh, in, in your in your uh, as a sci-fi expert and filmmaker, what things have you run into that you have seen that is you know not helping uh, the diversity in science fiction? Well, I don't, you know, this is it's an interesting question because I've actually dealt with this a little bit um, but actually for, you know talking about like older stuff one thing that sticks in my mind which is really funny there's a Hammer movie called The Lost Continent do you guys remember that movie it's one of my favorite Hammer films and I saw that it was based off of a book called Uncharted Seas and I think it was Dennis Wheatley it might not be the name of the author and I don't want to shame the wrong person but I like I found the books I'm like oh this would be a cool book to read and this book is like really like racist and I haven't like recognized it as I was reading this, I'm like, oh God! I mean, I didn't really even like enjoy reading the book. Um, but um, yeah, you know, the thing for me that's really interesting is I don't like you know, like this whole thing, like this whole talk about like, oh, Wonder Woman. You know, like you know, the whole thing that you can't have because I've developed a lot of projects with studios as a screenwriter, and you know, the whole aspect of oh, you know, a woman can't carry like a superhero film, and then you have you know, Wonder Woman comes out and does really well, and it was great, and it's like you know, but when I see like a trailer for like Captain Marvel, I don't sit there and go, oh, this is great. Too bad it's a woman. I'm like, oh my god, this looks freaking awesome. I can't wait to see this movie. It doesn't even, like, the thought never crosses my mind. Or seeing a movie like Black Panther, I just go see it because it is a great movie and it's a fun movie to watch. And it, 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 or like, you know, Get Out or Us. Like, I cannot wait to see Us. And it doesn't, it doesn't factor into my purview. Because as a writer, I'm actually known for writing very strong female characters. And that's something, you know, I, I known for, but I'm not going to name the movie, but I was brought in to develop a um, all-female uh, spin-off of a very f popular franchise, and I lost the job because I was a guy. And I was basically told that it was because they felt weird having a guy write a book, you know, write uh, this movie, you know, that's all female characters. Wait, and it's like... Sucker Punch 2? Yeah, Sucker Punch 2, exactly. <laughs> um, and and it was like one of those weird things. And, and they never made the movie. And I heard that the, the writers they brought on to do it, their version of it seemed a lot more misogynistic. I mean, mine wasn't even misogynistic. I mean, the, all the women were treated very... You know, I kind of describe them as all being like kind of Ray and Force Wagons. They're not sexualized. They're very, you know, well-defined characters. But it was because you know I was a man that I couldn't possibly write you know something like that and and it's like that's not helping you know what I mean I, I understand it's you because know, I, I believe in diversity I mean everything I've, I've done is very you know is, is a lot in diversity and actually you know I brought this today uh, I think is a prime example is I wrote this graphic novel called Discord, and this is the the sequel. It's actually a prequel series called Tales of Discord. And in this, one of the superheroes, her name is Iridian, and she's a gay superhero. Uh, she's a, a lesbian, but the, it's basically like her origin story. But it's it's about her coming to terms with her sexuality as she's coming to terms with being a superhero, right? And it was like the Huffington Post wound up like finding about this and doing this big article about it, and really it got embraced by the gay community. 
community and I got all these really lovely emails from people like, God, I wish I had this comic book when I was a kid. And it was like one of the most special things to know that I'd written something uh, you know, that could affect like that. And here I am, a straight white male, you know, that's writing a young lesbian, you know, superhero. Um, but I told the story because I thought it was a compelling story. It didn't even occur to me. I wasn't doing it as, oh, look, I'm going to show the world how, you know, how diverse I am as a writer. Yeah, how woke I am at all. It was just, I thought she was a fascinating character and I wanted to tell a, a, an interesting story. So it's, it's a shame that it has to be like, you know, where, um, you know, that it, it just can't just come naturally from people. I know the world is, is what it is. It's unfortunate. And, and I know I kind of feel ashamed sometimes that I'm a white guy, you know what I mean? Which is like, and, but I, you know, try to do my best, but it's not a purposeful thing. It's literally like, I just do that. I mean, like, it was funny, my movie Encounter, we actually um, got the diversity and casting waiver from SAG. Because you know, because of you know the the, the the amount of men, women, and different races and ages, but it wasn't done purpose purposefully. It was done because these were the best people for the roles, and this is how I wanted to do it. And it was there was no thought behind it by that. And it was like, oh, well, that's interesting. That's very nice that we got diversity in casting, but it wasn't a purposeful thing. So. Does that answer the question? <laughs> or did I dig myself into a hole? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Uh, and finally, Izzy, uh, what is your opinions on uh, anything in sci-fi that you have witnessed that may have furthered the uh, diversity gap? Well, um, let's just talk about casting. Is this on? Maybe. Um, um, whitewashing in Hollywood is, of course, an epidemic thing. It always has been. Um, we see people like Scarlett Johansson taking roles that, you know, probably should have gone to... Do I have to show? There you go. Yeah. Okay. Sh should have gone to, you know, the ethnicities of the characters who were written in those stories. Ghost in the Shell. Um, I don't know what is going on with the cure at this point. Um, but it's, it's, it's always going to be problematic until we live in a perfect world, which may never happen. Um, and the thing is, it's how, how problematic are you going to be or how less problematic are you going to be on a sliding scale? Um, you're never going to please any, everybody. So it's sort of like a fool's errand to even try. The only thing you can try to be is be a good human being and to not talk down to other genders or races or cultures or um, sexual proclivities and uh, try to tell the best story that you can, but also keep aware that you know some people just may have issues inherently with what you're doing just because you don't fit their idea of what should happen. You know what I mean? Um, that said, as a female director, there are a lot of doors that either will never be open to me or are opening only because people are starting to, to get really pissed off about things. So it, it's, it's always going to be a double-edged sword, I feel. You know, you, you're screwed if, you're, if you do, you're screwed if you don't, you're screwed, like, whatever. Um, just, you have to try to, like, get past all the clutter and try to tell the best story you can, even though we don't live in a meritocracy. Uh, meritocracy um, you know what I mean, right? Uh, we're just gonna tell great stories if we can. 
just try to be good dudes. If I may, one, uh, just one thing before we move off it, uh, real quick. One thing I do notice is, uh, and I agree with you both wholeheartedly, um, one thing I think you may be coming across, because I've come across it definitely myself uh, over the years, is uh, we've just existed for so long in just a, a, not, not a bubble or vacuum, just in, in a, a pure state of being of such lack of representation for most groups that I think now that uh, more avenues are open, uh, there's just a general uh, underlying hypersensitivity uh, that's just, I mean, it's unavoidable. You're going to come across it. And whether or not you're actively going for an effect, um, people are always going to interpret it a certain way. So they're going to discriminate against you whether or not they realize it. And that's one of the reasons that self-publishing has become such a big thing. You know, people putting out their own productions has become such a big thing because we've dealt for eons uh, with books that were um, just, um, I don't know, friggin' uh, James Bond would refer to, you know, the Negroes with their ashen skin and such, and that was just regular. You know, we've had films where it's like, well, you know, the women don't really direct and do things behind the camera. If they're not up front, then they can't really do the work seriously. You know, it's like stuff like that that's just become such a, um, it's like, it's, it's, tact it's, damn it, it's a characteristic of each medium. So now we're actively uh, trying to go against it so hard that sometimes discriminate against you know those that are trying uh, just to write good stories and tell good stories and present good stories and have those uh, to the people without an agenda behind it you know you can never really um, affect how people people's direct interpretation you know I hope that makes sense no, actually it makes a lot um, no, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, you know, it's interesting. When I when I did Iridian, I actually sent it to a comic book publisher that I knew and respected, who I you know knew was gay, and I said, "Is this like because I'm you know before I you know write this you know have this put out there." Is this sensitive? Because I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, I'm just trying to tell an interesting story, and and he was the one who like really encouraged. He goes, no, no, this is wonderful, Molly. He's like, this is, he, this is wonderful, like that. And I'm like, great. You know what I mean? Because that's because I was nervous because I don't. You know, that's the thing is I don't know. You don't know. You know, I'm only. I'm just. I'm like a storyteller. I'm just trying to you know tell compelling stories. So, you know, it's not about. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say that, but I, th I think you, you know you, you get it. You know what I mean? It's like I don't want to be offensive. My whole idea is not to be offensive uh, to anybody, but sometimes you want to be culturally aware. You know what I mean? Excellent points from all. Uh, Megan, we'll start with you for the next question, uh, just so we can move on uh, and get through all the points and get to the Q and A if anybody has any. Uh, starting with you, Megan, we're going to skip down to uh, what's the biggest barrier to bringing different perspectives in science fiction, in your opinion? So, I was, I was really your opinion, excited about the other question. I feel like that second question. All right, uh, to, to, uh, uh, we can do it. I feel like you guys all touched on that subject already. Uh, but we can go ahead and do that. That's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm hijacking the panel. No, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> for everyone else who doesn't have questions in front of them, <clears throat> Riz Ahmed, a British-Pakistani actor uh, who has been in films such as Nightcrawler, Rogue One, and most recently uh, the Spider-Man spinoff Venom, spoke about the difference between diversity and representation during his appearance on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. 
He spoke about how diversity has been used to reach a quota, and representation is providing the stories that reflect back on the audience. So Megan, what I want to know from you is how does representation matter to you? All right. Thank you. And, and I will touch on the, the next question, too, in my no, answer. No, that's fine. I think, no, I think we'll, they're related. Do this. We'll try. We'll All go right. with everybody, and then we'll do the next question. That's fine. Don't worry about it. All right. So... Quick, quick story, hopefully quick. Uh, so in the early 90s, I was in second grade. I didn't know what representation meant. I didn't know what misogyny meant. Um, but I was friends with a boy in my class, Ryan. Um, and we lived in a very heteronormative part of the world. So the only reason a boy and a girl would hang out together was obviously because they were in love, uh, which is a weird thing to assume about an eight-year-old. But. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we were always very sort of defensive about, no, 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 we're friends, we're friends. Um, one of the problems we ran into at recess every day was we'd want to play pretend, but we didn't really have any stories where he could play a male character, I could play a female character, and they weren't romantically interested because we were, you know, we didn't want to keep that rumor going in second grade again. Um, so then Ryan had seen Star Wars, and he started telling me about Star Wars. And I don't want to ruin Star Wars for anyone, but I, I, will, I will say that... Luke... If you were coming to a sci-fi film festival and you don't know the plot of Star Wars, I did, you know, go home and watch Star Wars! Uh, but but for, for reasons, Luke and Leia never get together. So we finally had this game that we could play... Uh, where I could be a female character, he could be a male character, there was never any weirdness about us getting together, uh, we could both do Jedi training uh, and have fun, and it was great. And then, of course, you know, I wanted to see Star Wars. Uh, so my dad, over the next uh, couple of weeks, month, uh, rented each tape from the video store, and we watched them. And uh, again, this being before I sort of knew what representation meant, I wasn't able to articulate this until much later, but... Um, you know, watching Princess Leia was like, wow. Because it was the first time I had seen a female character who uh, was both a love interest and a fully fleshed out character who went on adventures, who held her own in fights, who was totally accomplished in her, her own right. She was a diplomat. She was a huge part of the rebellion. Um, and that kind of blew my mind because that was something I always thought about. I was like, well, I, you know, I like going on adventures. I like, you know, joking around with my friends, some of whom are boys. Uh, I like reading and, you know, trying to be smart. But, you know, I, I'd also like someone to, to like me romantically someday and, you know, maybe dress up and be a princess sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I, at the time... You know, this was just mind blowing to me. Now I, you know, kind of understand that because that was the first time I saw uh, a character I truly related to represented on screen, uh, which was which was very cool. Um, so to me, that that felt like sort of some true representation, and and that kind of happened in spite of George Lucas, which is also kind of uh, interesting. Um, but then I, I do think that there's also a, a place in there for something that it maybe would fall more into to what Riz talks about being the, the diversity box. But you can also just have a, you know, say the, the scientist who is uh, analyzing the weird thing that fell from the sky, uh, maybe she's Latina. And maybe at some point she says, oh, you know, this is, there's a lot here. I, I better call my wife and tell her I'm going to be late. 
because it's also, I think, important to have some of that in there, too. One, for you know, creators who maybe don't necessarily feel comfortable telling those, a story. Um, and also because that, that's just how life works. Um, I would hope that my gender and race and sexuality are not the most interesting things about me. Um, you know, when I'm just hanging out with my friends, that's not the, the main thing that, you know, we're talking about or, or is really at play. Um, unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world where we are at that yet, so it's still important to have sort of those, like, true, authentic instances of, of representation, too. Um, so yeah, I, okay. I will pass it off. So I'm gonna talk about representation in two in two different forms. Um, one, like like um, like Megan here, I grew up loving Star Wars because who didn't who didn't grow up loving Star Wars? But when you look at Star Wars as a black person, you realize really quickly there is only one black person in the entire galaxy far, far away. And so when your friends want to play Star Wars. I'm gonna have the lightsabers, but I know you, you, you gotta play Lando. Because, of course, you did. Um, yeah, at least I got a lightsaber sometimes. Right, no, I, I had to play Lando, and you know. But at least he was there. Which actually still had him like better over, you know, not to insult the entire genre, but, but in horror movies, where it's still the case, where if there's a horror movie, unless, unless, it's, unless it's directed by Jordan Peele, there'll be one black character, and it'll be the second person to die. Um, did you see Deep Blue Sea? <laughs> it was a big shock that he survived right. at the end of the movie. That's, that's, the, that's yeah. the twist. That's the yeah. black guy lives. Yeah, the black guy lives. Um, <laughs> Other one, just epic. Right. <laughs> um, no, no, no one calls out. They shared him after the big bite. Like, he's good at speech. They got him. Oh, that's incredible. It's like, no, another shark came in, and they split him. They went split. Well, because sh sharks and share. <laughs> so. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It was funny. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like. Being, even having that was was important, but even there, like let's be honest, Lando is the epitome of what like '70s cool black guy would be. Like it's still very much in a lane. The cape is awesome, but it's still very much a product of like this is what you know, Shaft wants to be when he grew up with Lando Calrissian. Um, and then, you know, cause we, when we talk about diversity, especially if you're a black person, you end up coming back to Star Trek. They were Star Trek, and. It, and yeah, most of the characters in Star Trek, if you were black, you were probably security. You were tough, you were strong, whatever. And then there was Jordy, who played to the other extreme, like very smart, useless, useless with people. But then, then came Captain Sisko. And all of a sudden, you could be black. Like, in a way that wasn't true even of Jordy or Yuhura. Like, Sisko was a black man, and he was a badass. And finally, it's like, yes, I, know, I have a Starfleet captain that speaks to me. And that was important. But the flip side of, uh, the flip side of representation, and I think Riz Ahmed got it right, is having stories, seeing yourself in the stories. Having black characters, having women characters, having gay characters is great, is necessary. We need more of them even still in 2019. But what matters is having black, Latino, um, people with disabilities, women, LGBTQ, stories. Um, and 
it is not. I'm not going to say that only people of those communities can write those stories because, of course, that's not true. But I also want to be clear that it's very easy to have those people not tell telling their stories. Um, you know, when Black Panther came out, there was all, all those people talking about how it was the first black superhero movie. And then because we are geeks and because we are nerds, people would go, well, actually, <laughs> and put out, um, of course, Wesley Snipes and Blade. And don't get me wrong, black people, we, we love Wesley Snipes. Like, we love Wesley Snipes. I'm like, I'm taking another away from him. But Blade wasn't a black story. The reason Black Panther matter is because it was a black story. Not just because all the characters were black, not just because the creators were black, but because it spoke to the black experience. I would say I could tell, it was, I could tell that Black Panther was written by American blacks because it was fundamentally a story about missing fathers and strong women, which is the, story, which is the black story in America. You know, black, black Americanism is a matriarchy with deeply misogynistic undertones. So that tension, the, the importance of those strong women, was because it was an authentically black story. And I think that's why it resonated so strongly with, with, with blacks in America. Because we, we don't get that. Even, even when, we're, when we're in other people's stories, it's still other people's stories. Paul? Yeah, you know, it's, what was interesting is last week, talk about like how far we have not come. Uh, you know there's a movie that's out in the theater, Old Pursuit, right now, the Liam Neeson film? You guys familiar with that? So I saw that on uh, Monday night, last week. I don't even know what day it is anymore. No, this week. I saw it this week on Monday night. Um, there is a scene in the movie where two of the hit men you find out are a gay couple. And they kiss, and the, like they start talking about going on a vacation together, and you, in this like sort of a revelation that these characters are gay, and they kiss. When they kissed, two thirds of the audience like went nuts, like oh, oh, like it was like those audible groans, and I was like in shock. I mean, it was like it wasn't like. It wasn't being done, you know, for gratuitous. You know, it, it was just. It was like really. I mean, I, I almost wanted to go like, I stand up and go, like, really, everybody? This is this horrible at this day in 2019. You're seeing two men kiss who clearly love each other, and it's disgusting to you. I mean, it's it was very shocking that that that, that happened. You know, I, I thought we had sort of progressed beyond that point. So. You know. Until the next question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, on that note, there was a, I can't think of the name of the movie, but the guys who did Workaholics made a Netflix movie of them and a bunch of uh, terrorists take over a hotel and they have to, it's basically Die Hard with three stoners. Yeah. That's the premise of the movie. They, they have to save Shaggy, which is like the most important part. Yeah, well, I, I, well it's, uh, so yeah, three stoner. It's Die Hard with three stoners, uh, and uh, one of the scenes is they're hiding from two hitmen. Same thing. It turns out the two hitmen are gay, uh, gay lovers, and they, you know, they start kissing or like talking about going on vacation, whatever this and that. And there is comedy inherently in that scene, uh, for good and for bad, because the the good of it is, it's just a juxtaposition to what we normally see as a trope of these kinds of um, uh, uh, villains that, that, you know, it's the, we're, we're playing off the trip. It's like, hey, you, hey, gotcha. You thought they were straight. They're gay. So there's that comedy. But there's also the comedy in, like you said, where people's like, oh, this is funny because two gay guys kissing is hilarious. So it's, a, un, unfortunately, in, that, in the, the instance I'm uh, referencing is a double-edged sword where it's like, hey, 
they tried to take a traditional uh, trope and turn it on its head uh, to show that, hey, you know what? Gay men can also be uh, terrorist killers as well. But also at the same time, the humor unfortunately does come from hinging on the fact that it was like, ew, two guys kissing. So, but uh, moving on uh, uh, to uh, Pat, uh, how does uh, how, what how does representation matter to you most? Oh, okay. Oh no, it doesn't. I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> okay. No. All right, and thank you guys for coming. That is gonna be the end. No. <laughs> um, no, I'll try to be brief. Uh, uh, I'll say, I guess I'm lucky. Kind of, uh, to have had a um, uh, multifaceted upbringing. Um, I grew up with parents who uh, put me in several different schools uh, at a young age. So between the ages of zero and uh, when did we stop? I guess about uh, 11. Uh, I bounced around from different school to different school, and I don't think I spent more than two years in any one place. And that was mostly because it wasn't like an army brat or anything. It was just because uh, my my folks were aware enough to realize, okay, school system here sucks. Let's get our kid a better education. School system here is racist. Let's get a kid a better education. School system, you know, it's like, it's just like they're aware of those things, and that also attributed to me getting more of a varied view of who I was growing up. You know, so my identity was never tied to me being being this type of black or this type of you know young man in society and such, which I realize now as an adult thinking back uh, was a good thing. It also was a, it's a situation where you don't get to make too many friends and you get discriminated against in this new place and such. You know I think one of the funnest times I had was in a mostly white town as the only black kid. That was special, but it gives you a sense of okay I was never ashamed to be black. And one thing I noticed about um, black fair, you know, in fiction and especially in sci-fi is when there is like such little representation that's blatant, that's in your face. It's like, okay, I see everybody. Cool. The black guy. All right. Awesome. You know, I see this too. The black guy. Okay. But that, that's a little similar, but all right, you know, there's the, oh, the black guy here too. That's, that's kind of derivative. I see these different works. You know, why is the black guy like almost always the same guy? You know, and that's something that becomes aware. And then you go to anything that's anything that's uh, it's 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 well, ethnic centric, and it's all about you know you got to be proud of your people, you got to appreciate where you come from, know your history and heritage. It's like, okay, cool. Once I do all that, what's next? Well, you got to be proud of your people and know your heritage. And be just like, okay, okay, no, I, I got that part down. How about the part where we get to be cool and appreciate good stories written by our folks or just involving our folks, you know, and seeing other uh, groups rep 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 represented and come together. And how about this? Okay, well, this one. You gotta be proud of who you're like, yo, motherfucker, you're not getting it. And the thing is, it's like we strive for representation. And even when rep represented, it comes always comes from the same place each time. I noticed that for years. And one of the worst examples are things like, um, I wanna call out where in the world is Car no, not, not Carmen San Diego, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Oh god, yes. Yeah. Growing up, it's just like, okay, we have group we have teenagers from all over the world. Coming together, it's like okay, cool. They got a you know solid idea, and uh, and uh, uh, and they get their orders from the spirit of the earth, Gaia, powerful, strong woman representing. It's like bam, okay, bong bong, and then and she's not like Lily White like she would be in any other thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that I've seen 4,700 other variations of that. Let's for once try something different, and they did. Cool. Who's voicing her? Whoopi Goldberg. Awesome. Let's see what's up with these teens. Every 
stereotype you can think of of these different groups. Yes, he was so close. <laughs> and that's like the best we got for so long that representation becomes just inherent, like something you need to see, but you're also, uh, it's Pavlovian, you're going to find the worst parts of it. You know, so it's, it's, also, it's, it's not just looking for representation of your own people, it's looking for how that representation, representation comes through. You know, and one thing I've noticed, like even today, is think of how many Tyler Perry movies there are. You know, I'm so glad that that brother pulled himself up from virtually nothing. Yes, he's an educated black man. He's got, I think, um, an MBA, or uh, uh, I, th I think he was a lawyer, actually, but still ended up, because of the way society is, homeless, living out of his car. But, you know, through a succession of writing successful uh, uh, plays and then successful movies, he's become one of the most powerful and prominent figures in Hollywood. But also, if you watch his movies or his TV show, all of it is just the same representation of black stereotypes that have been just the bane of my existence for the majority of my life. He could do so much with the power he has, and instead we're getting another Medea movie. Oh, come on, don't don't get me started on that. Anyways, um, it's one of those things where you can see the progression, and that's great, but it's never been anything close to a perfect world situation, you know, and that still irks me to this day. And then we'll wrap this question up with Izzy on her opinion. Well, here's the thing. If you see it, you can be it, right? And if you don't have a good representation of whatever group that you come from or identify with, um, who do you look up to? You know, where are your stories? So you either create your own stories and, and see what you can do with that power, should you acquire any, and hopefully you do, um, or you're still relegated to stereotypes. So, I mean, for someone like myself, I didn't even realize I could be a filmmaker until very recently. We're talking less than a decade ago. It was always like the rich white guys are the filmmakers, and we're either the actresses or the makeup artists or scripty. And it wasn't until that I found a, a, a small group of, of women filmmakers um, that you know, it was, it was very eye-opening. You know, I grew up in a very uh, sheltered part of this country, and um, it was just all white dudes all the time, having the action, having the fun, having the adventures, having all the money, um, doing all the things. And no matter how much I rebelled, it just seemed like I could never quite break that glass ceiling, and I'm still kicking against it. So yeah, representation matters, and it matters a lot. You know, I can't say that I'm the only woman that cried during Wonder Woman. You know, um, seeing that power and that energy, and this one woman that just could just kick the shit out of all these bad guys and Nazis. You know what I mean? It was just so strong and powerful. It really does matter, and hopefully we're moving more towards that than backwards, but uh, you know, you look at who's in charge of this country and you just go, Jesus Christ, what are we gonna do about it? We have to keep telling stories because this is the way that we perform as artists and, and storytellers, and um, we have to empower other people like us, and we have to use our powers for good and not evil, you know what I mean? Uh, and then let's moving on. Uh, Izzy, we'll go ahead and start with you on this question as well, if you don't mind. Uh, 
Uh, as a filmmaker, what do you think is the biggest barrier bringing different perspectives to science fiction? Uh, before I hand the mic over to you, I want to say I think one of the, just my opinion, I think one of the things that is uh, uh, one of the biggest barriers, for example, since you mentioned Wonder Woman, I think um, as great of a comic and as great as the movie was, Wonder Woman was a really difficult movie to make because there were so many different people who made Wonder Woman with so many different voices and so many different variations of her slightly. Like, you, they, there was years in the comics where Wonder Woman was basically just like a valley girl who loved shopping, which is like betrays everything that came before with the, with the writers before, and then you have women writers, men writers, so I think in a case of Wonder Woman, one of the reasons why it was so long and so hard to make a movie is you couldn't really narrow down one Wonder Woman voice uh, to make uh, up until recently, which uh, they did a great job now. What, for years? You know, in the 90s, there was a different type of Wonder Woman. In the 80s, there was different, and et cetera, and on. So, uh, as a filmmaker, Izzy, do you th what, is, what do you think is the biggest barrier bringing different perspectives to science fiction? Hiring. Hiring practices. Trusting people that maybe aren't like you to bring on board, whether it's in storytelling in comics, or fiction, or behind the camera, or in writer's rooms. You have to have diversity, right? Yeah. You have to. And I mean, don't you guys want other opinions and, and new stories and different types of stories? I know that we're hungry for it. We're starving for it. And it just has to happen. Plain as that. Just hire people who don't look exactly like you, if you're a white guy. Or, you know, women have to help other women. There's this tokenism with women, too, especially women in power that happen to be a little older. It's like, oh, I'm the only one at the top. I have to be a gatekeeper now. I have to keep the other woman out, unless they're super exceptionally talented and or connected and or rich. Um, it's a problem. And so all of that shit needs to stop. End story. Yeah, I don't have much to, to add to that. To, to me, it's it's it, to me it's always hire the best person for the job. I mean, it's not about you know race or sex or anything. It's it's just hire the right person for the job. I mean that that's all my mantra. And uh, I, even on my crew for Encounter, we had a very diverse crew behind the camera as well. And actually, the producer of the movie uh, was a woman, sole producer, one producer, woman. I think I just got cut off. Oh, no, no. So, yeah, that's exactly what Izzy said. Uh, Pat, uh, moving on with you. Uh, as a man of color who's in the voiceover industry, what are some of the biggest barriers you face, and what do you think you can do better, or what do you think they, the society could do better to break down those barriers for somebody like you who's also in the industry? Uh, one of the biggest things is, I guess, uh, at least uh, from the talent perspective, is don't, it's, it's hard, and it's easier said than done. Don't get discouraged. Because uh, you're going to try for a lot of different roles, and you're not going to get a lot of different roles, but you have to keep at it. Because one of the things is that rejection is going to let you know, well, maybe it wasn't just outright discrimination this time. Maybe I just wasn't right for this. So you have to hone your craft. you got to practice. you got to get even better. And also, you have to say, okay, you know what? Also, maybe they were racist. Which means I didn't want to work for them anyway. Sit on it. You know, and you keep that fire within you. That's what's going to inspire you to keep at it, and eventually you're going to land that role. Or eventually you're going to say, you know what? Screw them all. I'll make my own damn production. And you'll do that either way. If you let it crush who you are as a creator, as a creative, then that's gonna, I mean, 
honestly, it's it's rough to say. Maybe you weren't cut out for it in the first place. But if you le- if you look at it like, you know what? No, screw them. I'm gonna succeed, even if it's like purely out of spite, because you know that's how I get down. Then I mean, that's your weapon. That's your not even secret weapon. You know, hold it in their face. It's like, look, I go in every audition because I am just that damn good and I'm going to try my ass off. And if you don't give me this gig, well, you know what? Hey, you missed out. Or you know what? You didn't give me this gig because your director sucks, F you. And then you go to the next one with the same passion, the same drive, you know? And also you work on your own stuff. Now it's easier than ever. And I, I mean, not that it's easy, but there's more opportunity than ever uh, to make your own animation, to make your own uh, uh, voice production, to put it out there, to you know, record your own podcast and broadcast it, to make your own short films. You know, uh, work on your quality, work on your writing, work on your performance, work on everything, because there's more available to you. And I think that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. I still come from the days where it's like, I know how to cut analog film. You know, like old magnetic and things. Oh, you can't keep that too close to this, uh, to this, uh, to this, uh, uh, refrigerator magnet. magnet. Yeah, because, you know, you will ruin God knows how many hours or days or weeks of work. You know, back in those days where it's like, what you got, a, uh, a a hard drive on the the furnace there? Well, you know, it's it's fine, you know. But it's like, uh, we've advanced and getting your mind around that and using more resources and knowing that your hands aren't tied by whether or not someone else tells you yes or no. You know, that's one of the most important things to remember. And that's one of the things I hope folks take away. Uh, and we will finish up uh, with Megan and Andre, and then we'll open the floor if anybody has any uh, questions for our panelists. We'll allow these two to answer the question, and then if you want to prep your uh, questions for the panelists, write them on a cocktail napkin, carve it in your arm, whatever you need to do to remember the question. Uh, but going on to Megan, uh, what is the biggest barrier bringing uh, different perspectives to science fiction, in your opinion, uh, as a pop culturist? Yeah, so I... Uh, we were talking about this before, so I think Andre is, is going to cover fandom, uh, but I will say fandom is part of it. Um, and, and I think that that becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, as weird as this is going to sound saying it now, I was maybe in college when I met another girl who liked Star Wars. Like, it was just this, you know, uh, these are shows and movies that boys like. They're not for girls. So then it gets hard to sell uh, any stories about women, for example, because the audience is male. Uh, women aren't coming to see them. No one's inter- So you keep kind of getting this, this loop. Um, but I'll, I'll let you cover the rest of that. Uh, the other thing that Izzy brought up, too, is, is having uh, people behind the camera, too. The, the writers, the directors, cinematographers. Um, and I think, you know, to bring up Wonder Woman again, I, to me, that was like the perfect example of it. Um, I remember reading this story about uh, Patty Jenkins having to fight with studio executives to uh, keep in the no man's land scene uh, because she wasn't fighting anything. Um, and, you know, when I watched that scene, I was sobbing. Uh, all of my, you know, female friends who went to see it, uh, same thing. That was the scene that they, they just started crying. Um, I knew at least one man who also was crying during it. Um, because we all got that that scene was about literally everything else except fighting a war and it was a perspective that I think um, obviously a a lot of men just didn't get uh, because of the world just treating men and women differently so uh, you know it was important to have that perspective in there too. 
Right. So, like Megan said, she and I were talking about this beforehand, and I think we have to talk about the role of fandom and why it is that science fiction is sometimes as limited as it is. Um, you know, I think, while well, yes, I think a lot of us are craving new, diverse stories, it's pretty clear a lot of us very much aren't. Um, and it is, I think you're right, I think, you know, mainstream, the people with the big dollars are listening to that, to that group that very much isn't looking for new stuff. Like, I know, I was petrified when I saw Black Panther that it wasn't gonna be good. Because if it hadn't been good, and it had bombed in the box office, the story would not have been, oh, bad movie bombs. It had been, look, people don't want to hear black, stories about black people. And I'm sure you probably felt the same way about Wonder Woman, right? Like, if Wonder Woman hadn't been phenomenal, the story would still be, women can't carry a, a, a blockbuster movie. Um, and it is true, like, you know, every time a character gets cast by, as a person of color, there's the small but vocal, you know, why do you have to take this character from me? Which, of course, speaks to why the fact that representation clearly does matter. If representation didn't matter, people wouldn't be mad that the doctor was, the doctor was a woman. If representation didn't matter, you wouldn't hear these many scandals every time you know, some character gets, gets, gets racially cast differently. They know, they, they know representation matters, and that race and, and that the gender and all these things matter to them. So part of it is we have to stop listening to them. And that does have to be intentional. Like, it does mean that we're going to have to say, no, we are actively going to create more high-quality things with, di- with, di- with diverse cast, diverse characters, even though people, you know, the people who are, who are used to owning science fiction may not necessarily like that. And I think it's part of it. It's like, and it's true, right? Like, all of us are old enough to remember back when black and science fiction was outside the mainstream. You know, I joke that in 2019, the, the geeks won. Like, pop culture is ours. <laughs> we, we won, it's ours. And I don't know that we necessarily figure out how to deal with that. Like, I think a lot of fandom hasn't doesn't know what to deal with the world where the stuff they like is universally popular. And I think that's, I think that's also part of the problem. Thank you, Andre. And then we're going to open the floor up to questions and answers, and we'll start right here. Hey guys, thanks so much for the panel. Um, I want to uh, do two things. First off, I want to uh, acknowledge Paul for writing a LGBT character and then checking in with a member of the gay community about it. I think that's great. Um, however, I would I would have to sort of not disagree totally, but from my experience and perspective, living in regional in the regional UK, I wrote and directed a film that was at last year's festival, and my mandate was, you know, no thankless roles for women, as diverse a cast as possible. Although, thanks to the question, also to acknowledge you there to push for the Riz Ahmed question, I've realised, you know, hum, hum, humbled that. I can I can have diversity, but I can't represent as a writer director anything other than myself, really. So uh, you know that's why it's good to I guess presumably check in with other people from other parts of the community. What I would say is, in my experience, it wasn't. I could never just say, oh, it's it's it, it only has to be the best person of the job, and it can't be to do with race or anything like that. Because within regional UK, you know, you, you're looking at a pool of actors or crew or anyone, and it's predominantly white and male. So if you just go, let me dip into this and get the best person of the job, regardless of race or anything, of course they're going to be white. 
if, if I, I from my from my experience, if you don't push for diversity within the hiring process and you don't try and make an effort for that and just say, well, it's the best person for the job, then do you know what I mean? Like, and and that's again, I'm coming from my experience. Like, I, I cast for a lead role of the lead strong woman, the sort of Buffy, the Ripley of the film, and I wrote her as an Indian woman called Sunita, and I had applications from 200 white actresses and 10 Indian actresses. And from that, luckily, I was able to, to go around and ask around specially and found a woman who, who I found her. She didn't apply and she didn't even know the film was going on. And she was amazing and I cast her. But I got 200 white actresses. And, you know, even producers who were on board with me said, well, you know, you could rewrite this woman as, you know, maybe she's Czechoslovakian and she feels, <laughs> side, you know, minoritized that way because she's an immigrant. And it, it, do you know what I mean? It was, it was so, so from my perspective, I just have to say that. Um, but a uh, brilliant, brilliant panel. And um, I also just want to ask everyone, um, how important is it when writing a character, when you're checking in with someone who is not you, I just, is, is there a, what's, what's the protocol? Because then, you know, if I'm, if I'm saying to someone, okay, what's this like? And they're like, oh wait, you're making me the ambassador to all gay people? Like, how, 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 does, how does that work coming from a position of privilege? Speak for all black people. <laughs> <laughs> so you say that, but that's actually like... I'll speak a, for the whites in a minute. <laughs> that's actually a key part of my day job is being ambassador for black people. So I, so I get it. It's a real tension. I, re, I appreciate that, you had, that you're, you're cognizant of that fact. And I think that's the way you go about it. You gotta, be, you gotta just own that. I can speak to my black experience. I can't speak for my people. I was not deputized to do that. Um, we have that, we don't have meetings where you figure out what we're going to tell, how, how <laughs> tell white people what, what to do um, that you know of. <laughs> but so, you, but I think you, you have to ask. Like I think knowing your limitations is important. Knowing, and but also knowing limitations of the people you talk to is, is, is important. But if you knowing the limitations of the people you talk to is also important. But if you go in, go into it with that sense of humility, that sense of I don't know what I'm doing, and it's true with all forms of ally allyship. No, you're gonna get it wrong sometimes. Being an ally, like, the best any of us hope to be, ever be in any form of allyship is imperfect. But, but if you can accept that and just try to fail better, that's really what it's all about. Um, here, here's an interesting. Okay, okay. So also entails a discord. Okay, and you being from the UK will appreciate this. Um, I have these superheroes. They're twin superheroes, and the whole idea is it's thematically about sibling rivalry, and um, they're they have. They're twins, but their powers are very different from each other. And uh, it's based on Noel Clark, uh, who's one of my closest friends. And uh, when I write the when I wrote the um, the characters, I'm just writing characters. You know what I mean? It's like I have sort of Noel in my head just because you know I'm friends with him. I know how he talks. I know how he is. But it, I'm just writing characters. It. it See, there's an interesting thing that really, you guys sort of touched on a little bit, I think you kind of really touched on a little better, um, was, I guess for me, it's almost like I'll use Alien as a, as a great reference for the fact that Ripley was not originally written for a female character. You know what I mean? It was given to Sigourney Weaver, and he didn't really change the role much, you know, to, you know, just kept it the same, and now she's this iconic, you know, female character. But for me, when I'm writing, 
I guess I'm not writing towards culture so much. I, I guess it's more, it, it's just more telling intriguing characters and the cultural aspect of it isn't as important to me. Does that make sense? And I don't know if that's being part of the problem or part of the solution, where it's like just saying that, you know, I don't want to be so cliche and saying, oh, I'm some colorblind, you know what I mean? You know, to, to you know, writing characters. Like, you can put, you know, any, you know, race in any of these, in these roles, but it is sort of like that as well, where I don't see it like, oh, well, a, a black, if I'm going to write a black character, they have to be very culturally black, you know, or, or with any of the cultures. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because I'm sort of, I guess, saying to the world that I, I just see us all on the same level playing field. Do you know what I mean? And, and, you know, but is that doing a disservice? Because I should be talking about more of the black experience, you know. Uh, but for me, like with the wing with Noel, it's, it's just wanting to tell these stories about these two kids. You know what I mean? And how they deal, how they deal with each other. And, um, you, you, you know, and I, I, I don't know. How, how do you feel about like that? What I'm saying, you know, in, in regards to that. No, I, I get what you're saying, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to talk to you after this about writing my autobiography. <laughs> autobiography. No, no. Um, actually, uh, no. You make a lot of good points. One thing that it comes down to, and this is a larger question because it's not just about uh, your role as a creator and do you cast the right person when you have such an onslaught of people that are. Um, at the core, wrong for the role. You wrote a very specific type of character. These people don't match that character. You know, you aren't limited to just that scope where it's like, you know, these are the only folks that came, so I guess I'm stuck with them. It's like, no, you go outside of that. Maybe you delay the production. I'm not saying do that. I'm saying that's part of the challenge. None of us even implied anything close to that it's easy. It's never been easy. It's never going to be easy, but that's our challenge, not just as creators, but as people. You know, uh, we learn every day that something we did was completely screwed up, and we get better from that. You know, and it's uh, yeah. And the best example I can put to that, just to keep it, um, give it some perspective, is uh, my experience with the um, the hashtag Not All Men uh, uh, situation, where I've had conversations with female friends about what they interpret as a slight against them, what they interpret as offensive against them. And my point of view for a while was, and I'm not ashamed to admit it because it's something that I inherently did that I'm glad I was called on, was say, well, you know, not all guys feel like that. And then put not example where, you know, because I so-and-so, without realizing that I was doing that exact same thing. And the thing is, I had to learn from that. I, who consider myself an enlightened individual, an adult who is more progressive, and I'm paying attention to these things can still be blind to certain things because it's not your experience and you just have to eventually make peace with the idea with the fact that it's not your personal experience you know so I mean no one expects you to be an expert especially not right off the bat but the least anyone can ask of you not even expect just ask of you is that when you do make that mistake and mind you it is a mistake that you learn from that and that you'll do better next time you'll actively try to do better next time and sometimes the odds are against you if you have 10 people who uh, aesthetically on paper are right for the role and as actresses they're all terrible and 200 of people who are aesthetically completely wrong for the role. But, you know, acting-wise, maybe they're... You have Tilda Swinton, followed by Meryl Streep, follow, you know, it's like all of them, great ability, 
but none of them are right for the character that you wrote. You know, in that situation, maybe you do write a different character, but you save, like, you know, change uh, a different, swap in a different character, but that character you save for a different production and you find the right person. You know, just to do yourself that amount of justice as a creator, but it's like that's the thing you would have to learn from. You know, this is the pool you're dealing with, but you still want to cast that character. You do it, goddammit, but you also realize that as a person, this is just one of those times where I'm going to have to evolve a little bit. You know, um, that's wow. I'm sorry, that was that was far longer than I intended. Uh, Izzy, do you have anything to add? I do, um, and I'm going to have interesting festival conversations all year long because I'm in post. I'm in post for a new film called Rehome, and it um, it's it's like good science fiction. I mean, and this is actually a thriller of of sorts. Um, it's it's terrifying to see what our world has evolved or devolved into. Um, in my story, uh, it assumes that the border wall has been built, and um, there are even more terrible things happening. And um, we ask the premise: uh, What if it was too expensive for most people to survive, and we had to rehome people the way we rehome pets? And what would that look like? And then we go a little further and be like. Um, what would it look like if these rehome institutions were corporate and privatized and some people never came out? And so my lead is a, a Mexican um, actress who is also a director. She's Mexican-Canadian, and uh, I flew her in um, to L.A. from Vancouver specifically for this part. I mean, yes, L.A. is filled with amazing uh, Latinx actors and actresses, and... Um, the thing is, do I know any of them? Sadly not, because of where I am on the spectrum of race. And I, um, I didn't want to go down, because of production, I didn't want to um, spend months and months and months auditioning. And I had like $5 to make the film anyway. So I flew in someone I knew who was amazing. And she also makes films herself, and she's working on something fantastic right now for Hulu's Into the Dark series that's also going to address race, and I cannot wait to see it. But I checked in with her, and I checked with, with several other um, members of that community and said, you know what, I want to be sensitive here. This is about race, specifically in a horrible way against you guys, and I want to know Am I being on a level here? You have to tell me because I don't want to be the bad guy. And it's hard and you have to push through the uncomfortableness of it. So. And we'll finish up with Megan and we'll move on to another question if anyone else has a question to ask. Um, so one thing uh, we haven't talked a, a ton about um, is also uh, LGBTQ representation. Um, and I think a, a mistake that sometimes happens with that is that uh, People don't always check in with the the right people on some of those issues. Um, so obviously, you know, any person of any group, they're all going to have different experiences. Um, but there are also the world treats each of those letters differently. The you know, people respond differently to gay men than they do to lesbians. Nobody knows what's what to do with the bisexuals. Trans people, um, you know, along with being trans, uh, may also uh, be lesbian, gay, or bisexual, and perhaps the perception of their sexuality has changed over their life. Um, 
and and then even within those groups, you know, uh, people respond very differently to two uh, very traditionally femme lesbians than they might to uh, more butch lesbians. Um, and that gets, you know, really nuanced. Um, but again, it's sort of recognizing, I think, with, with any of any group, there are going to be those differences, and, and some of them, um, I think, are becoming uh, more apparent. You know, there are also issues of, of like colorism, um, and you know that that's something else to address. So, um, yeah, I, I think just making sure you're checking in with the the right people for what you're trying to do, and then, as everyone else said, kind of remembering no one is the spokesperson for all people in X group. Uh, thank you uh, for this. Um, my question is, it puts me in the minority here in that I'm one of the people that really did not like Black Panther or Wonder Woman. And as after I see movies, I always go and read lots of critical reviews of them. And I think that I started to see that a lot of critics seem to be writing about these two particular movies just trying to be, as you say, more woke or politically correct. Like, I, I can't say I don't like Black Panther, else I'm going to be called a racist. And, you know, or I got to, you know, I got to, you know, be with the women. I got to say I like, like Wonder Woman. If I say, you know, they'll call me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a misogynist, yes, if I don't like Wonder Woman. So do you see any of this sort of, a, you know, trying to be, you know, more on, on the nose or so uh, that's fake? I, I got this. <laughs> Read the room. No, no, no. In actuality, uh, no, your opinion is valid. And remember that it's always valid. And what it comes down to is you're gonna come across some people who look at it at such as such a, 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 a cultural zeitgeist for them. You know, it's important for them that they have a perspective that you can't even fathom. You know, and honestly, you would be wrong to try to look at it from their point of view specifically because their experience wasn't your experience. You know, the best you can do is, yes, maintain your opinion, because that's your opinion. You're entitled to have that. You're allowed to have that. But also voice why, you know, and understand that they're coming at it from a different perspective. It meant something more to them than it did to you. Can I ask uh, just, just a quick example offhand of one of the things you didn't like about it? I, I read all movies the same. If it puts me to sleep, I say thumbs down. And so, you know, just, I, I can't even really remember that much about them because I just found that to be just like, I see all the superhero movies and it just seemed to be like another one in the pantheon. Nothing, I didn't see what was everybody thought was so special. All right, and that's very valid. You know, but that's your opinion. You weren't into the story and you felt the action didn't really move you, it didn't get you there, the story didn't like grip you and keep you enthralled, that's not your fault. And I say fault as an event. No, that's not like your fault for not liking a movie that everyone else likes. It's just your opinion, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that, that's perfectly valid. But the people that are fanatical about it, they're going to look at it like, well, obviously, you know, he's not black, so he didn't dig it for this person. I know plenty of black folks that actually didn't like black pants. I know, I know. Yeah, didn't like Black Panther, but yep, but their opinion is going to be <laughs> their opinion is going to be interpreted a little differently than someone who may not know you, but may find that out about you. That's just something you're going to have to deal with. I'm not saying it's fair, but I'm saying don't be afraid to engage in those discussions and let people know your opinion on it and why. Because honestly, that's going to help you also not be prejudged, and also don't feel like you're obligated to like something, you know? And uh, go ahead, brother, I'm, I'm hogging the mic. Well, I'm gonna throw out 
So, so when I try to explain the idea of privilege to people, I always say that fundamentally, privilege is being used to story being about you. Um, and it's okay if you don't like a story, if, if, like if Black Panther or Wonder Woman wasn't a story I was talking to you, that's okay. That's actually the point. The whole point of what we're saying here is we need to have stories that speak to more people. So th there's not gonna be one story that speaks to everybody. That's okay. So if, if Black Panther didn't, didn't speak to you, if Wonder Woman doesn't speak to you, that's fine. There are stories that do. The, the, the point is that there's stories that, that do speak in that visceral way to, to, to those people. Um, I will challenge, I t this is a challenge I make to everybody, I challenge everyone to be uncomfortable. So if you are, if you're white, put, put yourself in a non-white space to the point where it's uncomfortable. If you're a man, put yourself in a, in a woman's space to the point where it's uncomfortable. If you're straight, put yourself in an LGBTQ space to the point where it's uncomfortable. So you can actually understand the story that you aren't seeing. Um, and this is a growing opportunity, and it may be that you do that and you still don't like the movie, and that's fine. These aren't perfect movies; they, they, like they, they have flaws. But it's also it's also okay that the movie doesn't speak to you. Uh, and then for the uh, three panelists, do we have anything to add to that question? Or okay. Uh, and because we're going to wrap up on this question, we're going to do a recommendation question, and then we're going to wrap up the panel. Um, so so I, you can speak I, I to just, any of our panelists after the show. Yeah, I, I was just going to add uh, onto that. Um, you know, for most of my life, I watched movies where I maybe couldn't make that direct connection with the protagonist because usually they were men. Um, so I found, but, it, but it's not like I couldn't find anything in the movie that I could relate to and that, or that I could uh, enjoy. Um, so I think, and, and I don't know if this kind of resonates with anyone else, but you know, when I go see a movie, even if I'm not represented in it, I, I still find ways to relate parts of it that I enjoy just because if I hadn't been doing that, I'd be very, very limited in the media I would have consumed. It just would have been, you know, clips of Princess Leia from Star Wars and it, with, with a lot of the other stuff, which would be great. Um, but, you know, sometimes you need to watch something else. Well, well that's, yeah, actually, now I will add to this. You know, I, I, I started teaching at the New York Film Academy, and it's great. I actually have a, I'm almost like the token white guy in the class, which I have a very diverse class, men and women, different races, different, you know, um, from all over the world. Um, uh, and we're doing a genre, I'm teaching a genre class and, and looking at movies, and we're trying to keep the movies really diverse, and one of the movies we just watched for drama was Slumdog Millionaire, which is you know, a movie I really enjoy, and I hadn't watched it in a while, and I was just watching it the other day, and it's like, you know, this could not be more divorced from my perspective in life, but... I'm crying during the movie, and you know, you know, getting it just doesn't, it's like I'm watching a movie about people, do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter to me. You know, it, it, that, that's the thing is I, I do watch a lot of very diverse films and, um, you know, even ones where the white guys are the bad guys. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, it's, it's just to me watching a movie and if it's a movie that's done well, regardless of the perspective, I'm brought into their lives and their struggles and, you know, that's what hopefully any good movie does regardless of, you know, of who's being represented. And, is mean, he? 
No? Okay. Uh, and then final question. We already talked about Paul's uh, work, Discord. Uh, for the four planets, real quick, if you could just mention uh, for, the, for everyone in here, a good piece of sci-fi work that does have good diversity in it that you can recommend to somebody to go see. And we'll start with Pat, go down the line, and we'll finish up. And then we'll all go home. And you can ask any questions of their, our panelists afterwards. All right. Um, I'll go a little old school again. I will say Planet of the Apes. And Excellent. not just the one original movie, but the entire franchise. Planet of the Apes has everything covered. Racism, sexism, classism, uh, even uh, uh, diversity within uh, opinions of co-workers and such. And it's all covered in allegorical form. So besides the fact that Taylor, the main character played by Charlton Neston in the first movie, is a white male, it's not, uh, well, you know, you got the blacks versus the Asians, the Asians versus Latino, and it's none of that. All of them are allegorical in different ape classes, and none of it feels offensive, but you notice it's like in your face how the differences they're presenting are and they have the negative stereotypes and the positive uh, uh, characteristics all displayed in the franchise. There's five original movies, um, two seasons of a really bad TV show, a couple of comics that uh, comics that came out between the 80s and 90s, uh, an animated series that was very short-lived and stupid, and the remake movies. Um, see all of them. Come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to recommend a comic. Uh, read Bitch Planet by Kelly Sue DeConnick. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say that. That's okay. Bitch Planet. I would just say Twilight Zone again, because I, I think Twilight Zone is the best, has some of the best allegory for, um, for diversity and racism and all sorts of juicy stuff like that. Yes, Bitch Planet... Fellow non-compliant here. Yes. <laughs> and then finally, Andre. So I was trying to think of one for adults, and I realized that no, most of my reading these days is for my daughter, who's five. And so I'm actually going to recommend a novel series that's fantasy, but I'm still going to go with it, called Princeless. Okay. Princeless is the series Princeless. that Disney should have made 10, 20 years ago. All right. Thank you again to our panelists. Give them a big round of applause. And of course, some big round of applause for Arlene for hosting us tonight. Uh, big round of applause to Kayla and Dana and everybody else taking care of us. Thank you guys so much for coming out. So the 44th annual Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival will be going all week until Sunday. And you can uh, join us for the marathon Saturday night, 24-hour film marathon, Saturday night to Sunday. Goodbye.